0: And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all, from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Hi, and welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm very happy to have Inkemin and Defoe back on the podcast. It's been years since she was on, and it's been a couple of years since I've seen her. She is just a lovely human and a beautiful soul, and she's doing really important work in the world. She is the founder of Lumos Transforms and creator of the Resilience Toolkit, a model that promotes embodied self-awareness and self-regulation in an ecologically sensitive framework and social justice context. She was originally licensed as a nurse midwife and has extensive postgraduate training in complementary health modalities and emotional therapies. She's worked in a lot of settings from large volume hospitals to mobile community clinics and brings a lot of expertise as a clinician, educator, researcher, and community strategist. She works in programs that address trauma and equity builds resilience and shapes liberatory change for individuals and organizations throughout the U S and internationally. And she is particularly interested in working alongside people most impacted by violence and marginalization. And she does a lot of really important work in the birth community. And she's going to talk today with us about trauma and trauma and mental health and trauma related to systems and how that impacts birthing folks and the people working in the birthing community and the systems as well. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's meet Inkem. Welcome Inkem, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to be in conversation with you.
0: I love chatting with you. I love how your brain works and your passion Mm -hmm. and all of the work that you do in the world. I always learn something when I talk with you. And I just appreciate you for being here and the work that you're doing in the world. It's been a long time since you've been on. I don't remember how long, but- Years. Years. Five years? Like how long have you been at it? It'll be eight years in June. Wow. Yeah, if you can- I, I'm gonna yeah, vote. It's, it's
1: probably about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say mm-hmm. it's probably about that long.
0: Oof. Yeah That feels right. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. Oh, life. So yeah, you've been, at it for a long time, your work, and very Mm -hmm. deep into supporting people, healing from trauma in really meaningful and important ways. And so I'd love to start off with that. If you can talk a little bit more about what your work is. So my work is
1: broad. And it's all focused around healing and liberation, getting free. And because we're healing from trauma in so many different places, and I'm kind of a systems person, it's pretty diverse. Also, I like the diversity. So I have diversity of scale. So that means working intimately with individuals. In a one-on-one practice, it means working with organizations and communities. It means doing some policy work. Geographically, I'm based in the Los Angeles area known as Tovangar, but work is spreading from Bali to I'll be in Ghana next month and supporting on a project. Fair amount of work in England. And one of the things, the areas is understanding how trauma impacts people and working to support The places where we can grow people's capacity for healing. Because I Mm -hmm. think that's, if I could say one thing, it's preparing folks for healing work and for change work. Being a nurse midwife, uh, though I don't attend births anymore, I still think of myself as a midwife and I think about all the prenatal care we do, all the preparation for the event and all the Mm -hmm. support after. And so it's the same thing, holding folks through that. And so that may look like working with a health system Mm -hmm. to help them develop develop more equitable ways of working and develop strategy to bring in community and patient voices. It may work look like direct coaching of healthcare providers and how to be more trauma informed. It may look like helping a city rewrite their policies or strategic plan on how are we doing community level healing? How are we working with people impacted by violence? So it's really fun and broad in that way. And even some arts lately, there's been working around creative process and how we might imagine to work differently. So
0: that's amazing. Cause right, it, healing only the individual is great. Individuals need healing, but if people are in a system where they're continuously being traumatized, it's very hard to, feel and be healed. If, if you're keep getting injured
1: I mean and absolutely and I also think because this culture we individualize things so much that when someone's not doing well mentally psychologically there's like what's wrong with me is like the first question instead right. of saying like you know what maybe it's having to work this many hours and not having a support system and not having you know safe places to take my kids to play and just being stretched so thin and we think we We should be able to overcome all of that individually. And so there's a pathologization that happens Mm -hmm. instead of, and it's a way almost of the systems to say, hmm,
0: Not our fault. Right. Like, this is just how it is, or it's how it's always been done, or it can't be changed, or just. You need to be
1: stronger. You need to be more resilient. You need to go, and you need to pay to go get that help, right? Because we're not even going to offer that. And so, I like, I'm very interested in how do we hold both that, yes, I do need personal healing. And yes, I also need the systems and community and places around me to. What are the conditions that are gonna foster my healing? And so I like to work in both of those places because I think it's a both and.
0: Absolutely. And can you hone in a little bit closer to specifically the birthing population yes. and what I mean, there's so much to talk about, but what does it mean to be trauma informed within the realm of reproductive health and mental health, I guess, too?
1: Well, it's holding that perspective. Cause I think, you know, my, as a midwife that my heart is really in this space. Often when we think about being trauma informed, it's like, we acknowledge that there's trauma has happened. We're trying not to re-traumatize, mm. you know, it's offering trauma treatment, right? Which is not it's the same as being in trauma-informed trauma treatment is trauma treatment. Trauma-informed is, we recognize it's here where we have policies, we have procedures that, you know, take into this, you know, that trauma is present into account. So there's sort of more gentleness. Mm. But what I find, not just around birthing people, just in anyone who's applying trauma-informed approaches is that It's always about the birthing person, but not about the people providing the care, which is really, really dangerous because you have a healthcare system where people are exhausted. They were exhausted and overstretched before COVID. With COVID, it's just people, there's, you know, people have died. People are on disability. People have left. There's not enough people to do the job. And then you're telling them they have to be trauma-informed to the patient's and they're like oh we have to do that but they're not being treated in a trauma informed way mm-hmm. by the system the mm-hmm. whatever healthcare systems they work for and so they're resentful right. and so it's really actually i think dangerous the way it's been implemented i think it makes it in some ways worse yeah. because everyone's now aware of trauma but the people who are providing the care their trauma isn't held and you know Many of us who go into reproductive healthcare are people with reproductive processes. We have our own, we are the same Mm -hmm. people we are treating or serving. Like, you know, we're not any different. And so here we are trying to hold someone else's birth trauma. Who held my birth trauma? Here I'm trying to hold someone else's interpersonal violence, trauma, or sexual trauma. That's not being held for me. And in fact, I'm working in a system that's kind of punitive. And I think it rolls down
0: the hill to the patient. Right. It's very easy to, if you're not looking at the whole system, to point and say, well, it's just that physician or... just that nurse or something like that. But you're right. If they're not getting the care and the support that they need, not being recognized, where does that go?
1: Right. Like we're going to, you know, I will say a hospital, a large hospital system in the U.S. came to me recently and said they wanted to build more resilience for their nurses. One, this is a large hospital system that has plenty of money. They were not funding it. They were looking for grant money. Two when we talked about they're like, this is great, but they're like, that's too involved.
0: What do you mean? What's
1: like involved? the training would be too involved. We need something shorter and cheaper, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm just thinking, and I, cause what I said to them, I said, if we think you're going to do a little breathing exercise with nurses and you're not dealing with their patient load, I don't want to be the one delivering that because that is reprehensible, right. right? And so then the nurses are resentful, like, oh, look, we have all this patients we have to take care and they're doing this nice trauma informed breathing exercise or meditation. And who who suffers, the birthing folks, the families, because they've got a nurse who's short, who's upset, you know, yeah. and so that's why I think, how do we re-envision doing this so that everyone is held tenderly?
0: Oh, yeah, keep doing that. <laughs> You need a whole big old army of views and other people who have that vision and approach. I mean, I imagine, I mean, for me, like looking at how kind of big the problem is feels overwhelming. Like, how are we going to change all of this? And I mean, it's essentially one system, one person, one mindset, one paradigm, whatever at a time. It's just everywhere.
1: It's big. big. And this is why, you know, I, in recognizing you know, when you're thinking at the beginning of pregnancy, and you think about labor and birth, you're like, Oh, my goodness, Mm. it's big. It's like this. And what do we do is we prepare, right? Mm. We do the little little steps bit by bit. And we have support and we ideally and we're not doing this alone. And I know when we're together, that's one lesson of being a midwife, labor is painful. And if the people who are with you are also afraid of labor, if they're afraid of pain, and they leave you alone, it is intolerable. Mm -hmm. But many, many things that are hard to do become more tolerable when we can do them together with people who believe in us Mm -hmm. and are with us, like deeply present. Totally. And so I feel like I have a little bit of chills in thinking about why I turn to do this in this way is like an embodied, how do we develop the skill set within people, the knowledge, the wisdom, the skills, the kind of resilience that allows us to stay connected to ourselves, connected to each other, to not just dream of a new world, but to inhabit it. And I firmly believe it's possible because I've seen it happen. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. It's like when we are able to have that shift inside of ourselves, because yes, the systems need to shift, but they don't change themselves, right? right? People made them, we made them, right. we can change them, right? Yes. So starting at the, person level, as we start to make a change, we relate differently, we write policy differently, we make a little change, and we make a little bit more wiggle room for us, right? All of us. And then at that point, with that more wiggle room, we can do more internal work, and it allows us to stay together. So I ran a a multi, it was like a 14-week learning trauma-informed learning collaborative for federally qualified health centers in California. And then I redid it for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration throughout the Western U.S. and territories. And so here we're looking at the administrator, the doctor, the nurse, the social worker, the home visitor, the clerks coming together and learning together to develop their own skills and to start to look at how are they Holding the patients? How are they supporting the patients? So valuable. And some people have come through later and said, you know, that really stuck with me. And I've been able to make this change, or we've made this change. And so it's like, how do we do that together?
0: It is big. And
1: what's the adage? How do you eat an elephant? Right. One (laughs) One bite bite at a time. time. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I wanna tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd wanna know about individual education plans or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains.
2: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life. A podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out edit your life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious if obviously people are seeking you out to do this Mm -hmm. work. What do you find to be the points of resistance to making changes in a system to become trauma informed? Is it like financial? Is it? Oh, it's not.
1: Truly money can be found Mm -hmm. when people want and they have the will to do it. Money can be found. It's time, you know. We have systems that are providing care You know, we forget how many people have died. I mean, there's been so much trauma around COVID. People don't really like to talk about how many healthcare workers have died and how many healthcare workers are disabled and unable to work. We have a workforce shortage problem. So if you still have, and now we have so many more people who are disabled because of it, because of COVID. So we have a lot of demands on the healthcare system and not enough people to meet it. And then you're saying, and now we have to do something differently. And so people are like, we just don't have the time. They're in crisis mode. And the The truth is, we stay in crisis mode, we're going to perpetuate more crisis mode.
0: You're 100%, right? right? So where do you get off that hamster wheel? This is why I come back
1: to the body. So if I could give an example, you know, I do a lot of work with doulas and, you know, midwives, you know, particularly, but if I'm in a situation that like, just whatever it is, something is really hard in the moment with a client, right? It's a really hard conversation. We're talking about something difficult, something hard happens. But then that conversation is over. And I leave that and I was like really stressed about that. And I leave that and I turn to go see the next patient. I go to see the next client and I just carry that stress with me, right? And it's not to deny whatever happened was stressful, but it is totally unnecessary to carry that past the utility. It's not useful anymore. But because we're all like running, 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 we're not aware that we're still carrying it. Yes. And so some of the things I do with folks is just like, how can we do a little practice that takes 30 seconds that can help you come into awareness of where your stress is and drop it maybe even by 25%. It's not a huge... Drop, But what happens for the rest, not only the rest of your day, but the next person you turn to work with, they get you more present, right? Because when we're numb and overstressed, we're not just disconnected from what's hard. We also disconnect from the joy of the work and the things that we love. Everything is kind of shut down. And so it not only takes away the hard stuff, it opens us up to the, you know, the good feelings of the work that we're doing. And that's actually those little places where you can snatch back that energy. That is what allows us to actually have energy to make the changes. Mm -hmm. Because when we're like, I can't do anything, I'm so overwhelmed. But a lot of the stress that we're carrying, and I'm not even talking about trauma, just stress, is just not necessary. And if we have those little tools, we can take back that 25% of our energy and use it towards, and I think this is the same thing for birthing folks. We do the same thing as parents.
0: How do you support? Yeah. Can you apply that to, I'm thinking of somebody who's listening right now, who's like either getting ready for birth, who has had previous trauma. How do you support them through this process?
1: I think it's to validate whatever reactions we're having, they're real. I don't want to gaslight anybody, right? Like that's like you're having a real reaction to whatever it is. It's one, just can we get curious? So the question, I use a set of guiding questions and I would love to share them with folks that, you know, it's a very practical way to use this is, and these are lessons from the modality I developed called the resilience toolkit. And we use these guiding questions and One of the first things is just to say, what's my state? And it can be super quick. Like I'm at a 10 or I'm like, you know, through the roof or I'm at a seven or whatever it is, or it's my stress is big, just very quick, right? And then the next question you ask yourself is, how do I know? And I would only recommend asking that question if your stress isn't through the roof, because if you're through the roof and you ask that question, it can make you go further out <laughs> and up. But if your stress is sort of middle, you can say, how do I know? And this starts to teach you better about what's happening inside of you and your, what are your cues for high stress or even a trauma response. But even if you don't ask that question and you just say, what's my state? This is where to get curious is to ask yourself, is this useful for me right now? Not, was it useful five minutes ago when the baby was crying? Not, you know, this morning when I was in a really stressful meeting, not last week or not as I gear up to think about what's coming, but just right now in this moment. And most of us will recognize probably a little bit more activated than I need, All right? Right. Or if you're unsure. And at that point, is to pull in a quick practice that maybe has worked for you before a breathing practice. I'm happy to offer something, a practice here. I can do one right now. Like, I love one. It's called the butterfly hug. I love it. Do you know it?
0: I do. Yes, I use that with clients also and myself. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I love it. Yeah, but we can go through. I'd love to go through.
1: Yeah, let's do it. So it's pulling your hands up so that your palms are facing you and your thumbs are pointing out. And to cross them so that the thumbs are linked. And then, but if you set your butterfly on your chest with the fingertips just under the collarbone, and then an alternate tapping, it can be light or firm, slow or quick. I personally like slow and with a deep pressure, but everyone's different. But paying attention, if you're feeling more stressed as you do it, stop, don't keep going. But if you're doing okay, notice what's changing what's settling, what's shifting, paying attention to the signs. Oh, my shoulders just released a little bit. My jaw relaxed. My voice softened. I can feel I have feet, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And what that does, because in the resilience toolkit, it's not just enough. You use the guiding questions because it's not just enough to do a practice. It's to know, is it work for you? Because if it doesn't, Then again, it's like, what's wrong with me? They say breathing is good, or they say meditation is good. What's wrong with me? I can't use it. So we begin to learn what works best for us. Mm -hmm. And not only that, if we felt a settling, we can recognize, you know, I was caring more than I needed. And if we practice with these guiding questions over and over again, we begin to realize not just on an intellectual level, how much extra I'm carrying, our body starts to go, oh, this is maybe a little safer than I realized, or maybe this isn't happening now. That was in the past. And what happens through this process is we begin to know ourselves better. We begin to have better tools. We're carrying less stress through our days, which means, guess what? What can you do with that? Sleep better, more energy and joy for our children, Mm. the babies, Mm -hmm. more capacity to be present for our loved ones and in our work, whether you're on the care side or the receiving Mm -hmm. side. And most of us are on both at some point, you know?
0: What I really love about what you're saying both on an individual level and a systemic level is that even though the problem is big, feels big, seems impossible, let's just say, to deal with or overcome, the solutions are relatively much easier than you think they're going to be because just as people, when it feels overwhelming, it seems like it's going to take a lot to heal from but the accessibility of what you're describing and the skills and tools that you're offering. I mean, in therapy, I can say like some people respond with like, well, that's just breathing or that's just the butterfly hug. It's not gonna, it's not enough. And yeah, you're not gonna heal from it right now, this moment, like it's not gonna magically disappear, but you're describing, embodying a practice of using tools and mindfulness and attention and intention to stay connected to yourself. and
1: you know, a few things happen when we do that, right? That is not Like that's not the full step of healing. But if we're in so much crisis, we can't even sit with our hard feelings. How are you going to process them? So this is growing our capacity, right, to recognize when we're in overwhelm, that is too much, when we're able to settle. So that's a boundary. That's actually a boundary practice So for people that have a hard time with boundaries. It's great knowing what's good for us and what's not. And when we are like just that super activated, we're rigid, we're black, white, we can't see solutions, Mm -hmm. right? We're not creative. We're not connected to each other. We're not patient. All of those things make everything harder, right? And I'm not going to say like, I don't want to sugarcoat things. But if you can shave 10 or 5% or, you know, off, things become actually easier. And you're not so you can get to the problems, whether that's personal healing, relational healing, or systems healing. And usually, you know, and not everyone needs to do everything. And so this is why taking this embodied approach to doing trauma informed work is not and trauma healing, but on both sides, whether again, individual or collective, so that then they can meet in the middle.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really powerful and accessible. And as you were talking, it reminded me also that there's some hesitance to dealing, like the word trauma, you know, it can come with a lot of stuff, just even the word sometimes. Oh yeah, Um, People either have their own relationship with the word trauma or the idea that they themselves have been through something that's traumatizing. And there can be a lot of resistance to looking at that, sitting with it, quote unquote, dealing with it. How do you approach that kind of resistance? Or I don't love that word, but I'm just talking about like the emotional feeling of not wanting to think about things that are, that are, or were painful.
1: I don't think you can force anybody, nor am I interested in forcing anybody to do anything. In fact, that's why I often don't even use the word trauma, and I'll use the word just stress or toxic stress. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Everyone's doing the best they can at any given time, and I firmly believe that. I actually don't like the word resistance either. I would say ambivalence or protection, -protection Mm self-protection, are much nicer words to, to describe it. I don't think anyone avoids things. We avoid things because we're not able. I think it's a capacity issue. So this is like, I think of how do we resource people? Because no one wants to carry a big backpack of suffering through their lives. Nobody wants to. But if I don't have the tools to unpack that, why on God's green earth would I do that? And so I think about it's a sort of a natural when people start to feel resourced that I'm not, wow, I know like these little things through a practice like the toolkit where I start to recognize when I feel distressed, I have tools that can settle me. I will be less afraid of distressing things because I have a long track record of practice of knowing when I'm distressed I can calm myself. And that's a really powerful feeling to have. And then we might be naturally curious saying, maybe I don't have to carry this. Maybe I could do this in a little bit at a time. I had one sometimes I'll use visualization with folks and this I invited this one woman had this ton of grief. Just a ton. Of grief, and it was overwhelming her. And I said, If you could put that in a container right now, what would it be? And she imagined this giant silo, like a grain silo, Mm. that needed to be metal and huge and to contain the grief. And when she did, and it was there, you could see she's like, Oh, I can feel like I can breathe now. And she really could feel like it was help. And I said, how would you like to relate to this? And she says, I'd like to put a little spigot, the kind that, you know, like when you go and get water, you know, it's like a little spigot out of it, just a little one. So I can pour out a cup and then I can work with a cup at a time. And that, you know." She needed some place to hold it and some place that she could then say, with the resources I have, I can deal with a little bit of this at a time, but I can't deal with all of this. And I think, and, and okay. it's traumatic grief, right? Like, because otherwise, what if we insist you must deal with it and people are. Pummeled. I think often in therapy we go too fast into story and people are not resourced to tell their story and they check 100%. out and they 100%. re-experience it. Like, can we start with some basic skill building? Absolutely. First, right. Before we're even and I know and I'll have to say to people your story is important and it needs to be told. And as I watch you start to tell this story, I see you in distress Mm -hmm. and being harmed. Can we slow this down in a way that we're not reenacting the harm to you? Absolutely. And, you know, because sometimes we like, if I can just get it out. But the truth is telling the story of getting it out in that way is not the same as trauma healing.
0: Oh, absolutely right. Sometimes can be Mm re-traumatizing if you don't have the right resources or tools or feel health. I, I totally agree with you. And this is something that comes up in therapy a lot, like people who want to come in and do work on trauma, which is great, or want to start EMDR, and, which is great, but we have to slow down. Like if I'm thinking of one person in particular was in so much distress and wanted to just do the EMDR to to make it better. And I'm like, we gotta we got stabilize first. We gotta find the ground, figure out what you can do to cope just like minute by minute. And then at some point we'll get to that. And it's hard to like both at one time want to just be done with the trauma and over it and through it and have whatever sort of exorcism you need to get it out. And also have to sort of take time with something that's so distressing.
1: It is hard. And so how, you know, because that desire for catharsis, that desire for instant relief is, you know, is real. And I think there are modalities that make people believe that that's possible. You know, some really intense breath work or some of these even somatic modalities. And I'm just like, oof. resourcing, resourcing, resourcing. And in anything, sometimes we're so keen to tear things down. And we think that's what's going to do it. But then you didn't build anything in the meantime. So then what are you left with all this, like, Mm -hmm. you know, torn down things like sometimes building things can also cause some of the difficult to be not doesn't take up as much space because you've built in some goodness.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely so really specifically focusing on mental health and trauma how do you within the work that you do and you know how you see things how do you view can you speak to that trauma and mental health
1: i mean i think we would be hard pressed to find any mental health diagnosis that does not have trauma as a piece of it in fact (laughs) yeah you would be really hard pressed and the thing To remember is like, you know, it pushes against and trauma in many different ways. So it's the trauma, individual trauma that we would think of like assault, developmental trauma, like neglect, but also systems trauma, living with sexism, living with racism and how that impacts your structures, your opportunities and your identity, right? So there's a lot of forces. And so what would push up against is, you know, a lot of a medical model of mental health issues is like a lot of it is, well, it's your pharmacology in your brain. It's like a chemical issue in your brain. And while we know that like pharmaceuticals can help, They are not trauma healing. And so if we don't name that trauma is a part of it, I think a lot of people have primary care doctors that are writing very needed prescriptions for antidepressants or anti-anxiety, but there's not enough holding of that you need trauma healing. And trauma healing has three stages. There's stabilization, right? Which is finding that safety and the calm and the skills. Then it's repatterning that narrative and then sort of building your new life. And most insurance in the United States, what do you get? like a very short course of really just focused on repatterning the narrative. There's no space for stabilization. And if someone has significant childhood trauma, that stabilization can take months, if not years. And so I think this is the problem with a medical model that's not, we haven't really gotten how trauma is woven into these places, and how we approach the treatment and holding people. And then you know mental health issues are seen as like a personal failing right as yeah. much as we try to destigmatize it it is just over and over i'm not strong enough i should mm-hmm. be able to and i mm-hmm. think when we can reframe it, that trauma is a piece of it and also the systems trauma it's like oh wait a second right what and i see this so often in my work is that mm-hmm. when we describe the signs of trauma i've literally heard people say oh i'm not crazy right that's why. There's an understanding, right, which alone drops some of the anxiety and stigma. It's like, of course Mm -hmm. I'm having this response.
0: right i mean it's really powerful to give people context for to pull them out of that the way that it's been individualized to remember that you have all of these multiple systems that interact with each other all the way from just you as the individual to just the household you're in to the neighborhood you're in to the state that you're in country let alone all of those systems that are working in there, medical and everything there's no like we are not siloed there's no way we're not impacted by all of it. I mean, just walking around, you can't, you're not like, I am currently being impacted by all of these systems. You just feel like I'm the failure.
1: And I mean, just the lack of comprehensive um, parental leave is traumatic. I mean, like just straight up, like if we just want to pick one thing, it's Mm -hmm. straight up trauma. And what that creates is one, I have to be, you know, working and caring for a little person and still recovering my physical self. And then I have this self-image that I am not enough. Really? (laughs) Right. And so then I'm, you know, I'm spiraling into shame, which may activate old things for me. I am now depressed. I'm now withdrawing from supports that I need so much. Right. But what was the cascade that kicked that off was inadequate parental leave. Right. Yep. And so, and now I'm paying for therapy, right. I'm paying for therapy Mm -hmm. when, But because I'm so overwhelmed, how could I ever think about lobbying or joining a group that's, you know, asking for, you know, changes in laws for more parental leave because I'm stretched so thin. So this is where Mm -hmm. all of this fits together. Or even do I have enough energy to even lift my head up from the diaper changes and the midnight breastfeeds and the, you know, the whatever, getting the other one to school and all of the things, right? And I want to call something in here about doulas because I think doulas have been, and this is going to be a little spicy, have been touted as a fix-all for, or not a fix-all, but like really, really important for fixing maternal child health issues. So- Doulas are important. Yes. But doulas are being used, and I'm going to say this, we have a system that is very broken, mm-hmm. and the system has fixated on doulas as the solution, but doulas typically have almost no power in the system. Right. They have no power vis-à-vis doctors. Mm-hmm. They have no power vis-à-vis nursing. Mm-hmm. They are there to support a birthing person in the situation, right? Extremely powerless. And we say, oh, yeah, they're going to fix, they're going to advocate. Right. So we literally are setting the role of doula. We are setting individual doulas up for burnout. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing cuz I do a lot of work with doulas, helplessness. How can I a lot of doulas what we see is they go in with incredible passion and they leave. The turnover, the attrition is so high because they feel so powerless. So many of them will either go on to become midwives or nurses, right? Or they leave. There's not that many who have been doing it for a very long time because of the role. And I will say, I mean, is It's the medical model, the obstetrical model of healthcare delivery, of perinatal care delivery. If we had a midwifery model, doulas are, right, would be working in collaboration and would be like, would have more power to Mm -hmm. provide, you know, you wouldn't need even probably as many doulas if we didn't have the obstetrical model. but. No one wants to get rid of the obstetrical model because obstetricians are holding on really tight by and large, as I'm not going to say that there are individuals who are fantastic, but as a core, the model is holding on tight and says, oh, we're just going to add doulas on top like a little frosting, but we're not changing the cake. And once more, who suffers? The birthing family, right? And I think doulas. And so it's one of the areas where I didn't recognize it at first. I was asked to do um, some trauma-informed training for a doula project in Los Angeles and I did that for three years and I was really shocked to hear over and over again the degree of burnout, the degree of helplessness. And typically doulas are moms often themselves. Right. Often with young children. Their own experience in birth was often what inspired them to want to do it. Mm-hmm. They if not, whether they are or not, doulas tend to be the support people for their entire networks. They are doulas right. in right. more than just that.
0: Yes. And caregivers.
1: And I feel like they're being taken advantage of by the system that doesn't give them any power, you know, to exercise. And so it's like been a heartbreak. Is
0: a Band-Aid in a way. Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. then it's used as a Band-Aid and not even like given the resources to, to do what they want to do. So I'm doing training, more and more training of doulas, like developed a whole program of how do we get this embodied resilient skills to apply the trauma-informed perspective for themselves and their clients. Mm-hmm. And also how to have bandwidth to think about how do we come together as doulas and affect change for our positionality in the perinatal landscape. Because I think when doulas do well, birthing families do well. And doulas, I think right now are having a hard time.
0: Right. And it's been recently that, recently meaning like at last 10 years or so that doulas, or maybe longer, but the importance of doulas in the process has been more known. There's and uh, more sought out for care, but it, I don't know how to say it, but it, it, in some way, almost like the medical system sort of like cheapens their worth in a way by, I don't know how else to say it, but it like they're necessary, they're in the room, but they're also kind of being used.
1: I think they're completely being used. Mm-hmm. I think they're completely being used. It's like, you know, here, look, our, we have doulas and we allow doulas in our hospital, but we'll kick you out in a moment's notice. Or, you know, they're just treated with such disrespect by, you know, that they're not considered part of the
0: care team, Right. Mm-hmm. It's more to like manage the birthing person. But not the real stuff. This Make is it that. feel like they're getting support. And I hear what you're saying too. It's not to say that's not happening in some cases. You're talking about just like overall system. Globally. Yeah. yeah. That's an important part. Thank you for speaking on it. It's one of those things that, right? I mean, even... It, within the system, you had to be in there to see it as a systemic issue. It's hard to see it from the outside unless you're, you know, hearing from people's individual yeah. experience. Yeah,
1: no, just the the turnover has been just tremendous. And, and then I see doulas like they'll get together and they just share war stories and they're like because it's you know there's just a lot of trauma in trying to provide the support that maybe they didn't have when they were birthing. Mm. Or postpartum, right? I think postpartum doulas are often very siloed because they're not part of a care team. So as a midwife, like I would want to know my client is seeing a doula. I want to know what the doula is seeing. And we would have like, you know, like what's a case conference? Like, you know, how can we support this person better and this family better, but they're considered like extra outside of not Mm. part of.
0: So right. The only birth doulas. So it's like not a false sense of community uh, because doulas have each other, but a false sense of community within the hospital system that has to do a number. No wonder people are burning out. Systemically, no one's being held. And this is it, right? Mm -hmm. No one is being
1: held. And so- we can't just like demand a system, hold us. The system is made up of people. What we can start to do is hold ourselves and hold each other. And there's like a ripple effect. Like I, one of the concepts that is also helpful with overwhelm is that we all have a sphere of influence. Some people have very big spheres of influence. Some people have very small, but we interact with people all the time. And so even if I'm just talking about this symbol, I'm interacting with my child. If I'm carrying unnecessary stress and I'm short-ended, I don't feel good. They don't feel good. It's not, and it creates all kinds of dynamics. So anything that I can do in my little sphere of influence mm-hmm. can start to ripple. And if more and more of us did
0: that together, I mean, like, I'm optimistic. Oh, I'm so glad you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I mean, you're out, out there doing it. I see it. I see it. And
1: then the joy comes in too. Like, this isn't just hard. It allows the goodness to come in with it. So,
0: well, I mean, just to be able to create space, I mean, I think it takes people like you and, and, tools that you've created to help people see that it's possible because it it can feel overwhelming to you know me just sitting here how does how do we change these systems that takes people like you who was like well here like this and then it that becomes a possibility but you you had to see a lot of things in order to meaning like in your practice and your work and being in systems and really seeing in a very meta way what the problems are and how they're interacting with each other and to be able to get in there and make some change.
1: And that, you know, I believe in people's inherent goodness. I believe people are trying the best they can. And I believe a lot of things set us up. And it's just to remember, nothing, we created all of this, right? We created it. If we created it, we can change it. And just our belief that it's calcified is telling me how stressed you are. When you can let go of a little stress, you're going to see more potential. I believe the answers are inside us and between us. Mm -hmm. And that when we settle, we can
0: find them. That is so so beautiful and so true. Let's do it. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think the one thing I would say is I have two grown boys. Mm -hmm. They're men now. Mm -hmm. The youngest is 22. I would say you know, if you aim like, you know, kind of like at the sidewalk, like you want to land on the sidewalk, you're going to end up in the gutter. You know, you end up aim at the treetops, you're going to land. I go aim for the stars. And like, we hope you land at the treetops. If we can't dream it, it will never happen. I guarantee you. And it's dangerous to dream because to hope, right, is to risk loss. Mm -hmm. And most of us are like, I'd rather just not hope, right? But when we can get courageous and hope that something could be different and really, really dream and then start walking there together and figuring it out. Because otherwise I just throw in the towel, like why bother? And I, you know, there's a lot of hardness right now, a lot of hardness in a lot of places, but there is also goodness too. When we feel stressed, when we feel in trauma, that's what we're going to see it everywhere. Right. And when we feel settled, we're able to see the more positive. And so any place folks can settle, it allows us to open our vistas to all that's
0: there and, and what's possible. It's amazing. Can you tell people how to access the resilience toolkit and find out more about your work? If both, if I guess, if they want you for their system, but also individually.
1: So I can be found on Lumos Transforms as my organization. And there's also a separate site for the Resilience Toolkit. And it's a resilientstoolkit.co, not .com, but they're linked so you can find them. And so we offer classes for individuals, community classes. We are really concerned with accessibility. So we always offer free and low cost offerings at all times. We and I'm doing specific work for doulas, supporting doulas, offering a three-month learning collaborative, learning community to learn about becoming an embodied, trauma-informed, resilience-oriented doula or even like childbirth educators, newborn care specialists, that whole sort of non-clinical folks who support birthing folks. and we I named it Tender Love.
0: That is. Very so I think sweet. we need more like tender love. <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. We do. So that is both supportive. That program is supportive for them to learn how to care for themselves while they're caring for others. Absolutely.
1: Other in a system Absolutely. that
0: could potentially maybe not be caring for them.
1: Yes, and how to think about shifting and how right. and it's very practical. And yeah, I love the idea of just working with people over time together. And learning together, developing a community of practice. So
0: I think that's perfect. Things do need to. It can't be just quick fixes, and you know, listen to this one hour thing and then go out and do. It has to slow down. It has to be deeper in order for there to be a effect.
1: I was actually shocked. I was looking at trauma informed trainings for doulas, and all of them are pre recorded, do at your own pace, and I was like that. I I would want to do that with somebody and to be held like Mm -hmm. and have discussion. And just it feels like a little not trauma informed to be held in that way. This isn't didactic information. This is how are we different? How do we do this differently? Bit by bit. So yeah, no, it's always so great to talk to you. And I I don't know about you. I appreciate your questions.
0: I'm so glad you came and shared all of this with us. It just I always hope that, you know, conversations like this, people can hear it and share it with others who could benefit from hearing this. It just like cracks that door open just a little bit more, if not like blows it off the hinges for change to happen. And that mm-hmm. it's even possible for change to happen and that somebody ha- is figuring out how. I'm
1: like, and if nothing else, like that we stop blaming ourselves so much. Hey. Right? Like, yeah. trust me, I've made plenty of mistakes as a human, <laughs> right? I take, you know, accountability there, but I'm not going to take responsibility for a, the effects of a culture that does not support birthing people
0: and their families. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you heard it here. thank you so much for coming i really appreciate you sharing with us today
1: oh my pleasure thank you
0: So much to think about there. I really hope you can chew on this and have it open up that little place in your mind and heart that knows that change can happen in these really big systems. And individually, if you'd like to get um, connected with Inchem and her work, you can go to lumostransforms.com and you can also find her on Instagram and Twitter. Please come and follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Mom and Mind. That way you can be informed about all of the episodes that get dropped. You can also join me at WellMindPerinatal.com and join my mailing list so you can be informed of all of the episodes when they come out and also any other special goodies I'm offering at any given time. I thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health.